Welcome to SJMS Talks, a podcast published by the academic journal Scandinavian Journal of Military Studies. In this episode, we're going to talk about cyber militias. In cyberspace, governments find it difficult to protect citizens and critical infrastructures from attacks. Often, they've come to rely on the cybersecurity expertise in the private sector. And in some cases, they've called upon civilian hackers to be prepared to defend the country in future emergencies. In the United States, several state-level militias are ready to assist the local government in cyberspace. And countries such as Estonia and Denmark have established a cyber home guard. Militias are often associated with groups of armed individuals that work as paramilitary forces against or in the absence of a functioning government. But lessons from the war in Ukraine indicate that in future emergencies a cyber militia might be useful to have. Shortly after Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine in February 2022, the Ukrainian government asked the nation's hackers to help protect critical infrastructure and conduct cyber-spying operation against Russian troops. This resulted in the new Ukrainian cyber militia, the IT Army, conducting both defensive and offensive operation, hitting, for example, various Russian websites. But how should these cyber militias be governed? And should they be able to go on the offensive or should they only defend their home country? Then Jager Svandesen wrote an article in SGMS in 2023 about the regulation of cyber militias. By using lessons from Ukraine, as well as from other wars, he reflects on how states can regulate such organized cyber activities. First, he suggests a definition of cyber militia before he goes through the various roles cyber militias can have for a state. Dan then discusses what international law would say about that as well as what the advantages would be for states to recognize cyber militias, in contrast to keeping them as an opaque tool. We have invited Dan to the podcast to talk about cyber defense after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Dan is with us from the Gold Coast in Australia. Dan, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. So, Dan, tell us why you wrote your article about cyber militias. And you define it in, in a particular way and, and ask for an international framework. Why is, why is that important? Well, it all started, I mean, the, the brutal attack, the Russian attack on Ukraine has been going on for about 10 years now. But what happened in February 2022 really changed things for me. And I started to try to find some way to do something that could potentially be helpful. And I soon came across this uh, Ukrainian IT army and uh, got interested in that. And uh, 11 days after the 2022 invasion, I managed to get an article published discussing how Australia could make it legal for Australians to join the Ukrainian IT army. So that was the starting point. And uh, since then, I've been trying then to come up with structures for how we can organize, manage and, and regulate uh, a cyber militia. The reason I think this is all very important is there's many reasons for it, but just to pick some, I think that a cyber militia may be an important tool, perhaps in particular for smaller nations, and particularly small nations with a generally well-educated population has an, at this point, I think, untapped resource. And I think a cyber militia could could build on that and, and make something of that untapped resource. It's also important from a perspective of, I mean, we see many of the um, larger players and so on are using non-state actors uh, that, that do things on their behalf, 
but with a sort of plausible deniability. And I think various massive risks associated with that. So if we can get some more transparency into how um, how states are using bodies like that, I think that can have a value of, of its own. Yeah, yeah, be, be, and we'll definitely dig into to that a bit more because I think it's it's fascinating both to talk about the risks and also talk about how we regulate it or how we organize it in a particular way. But but before we dig into that, can you can you just talk a bit about like definitions or like because you do not use the term home guard, you, you use cyber militia. But what is a cyber militia, and, and yeah, and what exactly, what kind of role can they? play in the defense like more in in more specifics yes so the first thing i want to say about that and i think circle back around to the the roles and all that later but i think we we should we're not choosing between a cyber home guard or a cyber militia i think both are bodies that can play an important role but let's start then with thinking about a definition of what i mean by cyber militia the reality is of course there is no universally accepted definition of what a cyber militia is. So I, I looked at various definitions and came up with a definition that suggests something along the lines that a cyber militia is something that undertakes defense-related activities, broadly defined, in or pertaining to cyberspace, and they do so on behalf of a state. That's important. It sets it apart from the sort of non-state actors that uh, so uh, cyber vigilantes and so on and they do so with a state's formal recognition that sets them apart then from um this non-state actors that creates uh, havoc uh, in a hidden way in a sense then uh, the cyber militia then acts with some degree of coordination and guidance on behalf of a state but does so outside the ambit of a state's regular or regular armed forces or national security structures. And that then sets the cyber militia apart from something like the cyber home guard that forms part of a defense structure of, of a, a country. So that's the sort of thing that I'm speaking about here. Okay, so so it, um, they, they definitely seem useful, like intuitively very useful for, for, for a state. But what, like getting back to the risks, right? So for, for me, uh, I guess l listeners in in general, you know, to to like what happens if they kind of go rogue or if the, if like you say there's a coordination, but sometimes the coordination is not really like uh, proper. Something goes wrong, and you know, cyberspace is kind of a, a domain where incidents can happen and, and some circumstances that was not expected, and so on and so forth. And or if they actually start to leaking documents or, you know, doing something that, that has, you know, escalatory potential that the state military actually wanted to avoid. Like, what, like, what happens then? Uh, what are, are, are those kind of the, the main risks or what do you think about that? There are certainly many risks involved in uh, cyber militia, risk that we need to take serious uh, when we set something up uh, that would be a cyber militia. But I think they're all manageable risks. Um, but perhaps we should take one step back and talk about the roles that uh, cyber militia could perform, because I think that the roles feeds into what type of risks uh, there would be present in a situation. If you look at the literature on cyber militias, uh, a lot of the focus have been on cyber attacks. 
uh, so hacking and so forth. Of course, that is one of the roles that a cyber militia can perform, and that is one of the roles that I discuss. But I also discuss in my article three other roles that I see as uh, potentially equally important. One such role is open source intelligence uh, matters. And I think uh, that includes both the traditional uh, ideas around open source intelligence. I mean, there's a lot of information available to us now. Uh, everyone uh, in front of a computer can access quite a lot. And uh, also offline, I mean, uh, what we've seen in Ukraine, we've seen uh, the public making observations and reporting them to the government, to the military via uh, set up channels in advance. That sort of activities uh, I would put towards a cyber militia. But also uh, what we've seen in Ukraine has been uh, a use of, in a sense, the public in general, but perhaps in particular those who are more engaged, like a militia could be, in uh, corroborating and crowdsourcing evidence of alleged war crimes. So that's an additional aspect of this open source intelligence activity that we could see from a, a militia. System support activities could very well be undertaken by um, a cyber militia in relation to local, ensuring basically, let's say the, the local library could function as a connection point for people in the area where in a time of crisis where the home network might be knocked out and so help with those sort of things. And that could be then guided by the cyber home guard. The cyber home guard can work as uh, in a sense, taking the lead on and and uh, leading the cyber militia activities to some degree. The third role uh, that I discuss of beyond when the attacks is uh, information warfare. I think a cyber militia can play an important role in relation to information warfare, both in fighting back against. In, uh, propaganda campaigns and so on by the adversary. But in fact, we've seen in the Ukraine situation also a, a militia-type approach to uh, offensive, what may be seen as offensive information warfare. The example I'm talking about was in the early days, there was some coordination around getting people to go onto Russian websites, let's say a restaurant review site or whatever, and post information about the war to make the Russian population aware of what was going on. It's not sophisticated, but it can be quite effective when it's done perhaps uh, in a mass through a cyber militia. So these are the sort of roles that I discuss in my article. The risks uh, are associated with those roles, of course, and there are several risks that we need to take account of. If so a uh, cyber militia, we have to imagine that it will be infiltrated by the adversary, um, and that must guide the sort of activities that we put to the militia and how we guide its activities. Another risk is, of course, loss of control, uh, that the militia starts acting on its own and leads to escalation and so on. That, that we need to deal with. And for uh, some uh, situations, we might also talk about the risks of abuse by the state. Uh, a cyber militia can become a powerful tool for a state that could obviously, like any other powerful tool, be misused. So we need to look into oversight and guidance uh, there. Yeah, and that's exactly a nice segue to my next question, because you... you um 
you include an appendix in your article with a proposal for a designated cyber militia bill. Right, so so that that I guess is is some of your solutions and some of your way through this, these these difficulties, right? So so tell us about it. How can such a bill be used, and and has it been used anywhere, and how do you see it going forward? Yes. So the bill that I've drafted relates to the position a state might take in relation to its citizens when those citizens want to join a foreign cyber militia. So let's say that someone in Denmark wants to join the Ukrainian IT army, uh, perhaps someone with great IT skills after putting the kids to sleep at night, have a few hours in the evening during which they want to devote to helping out, right? So what is the legal position of such a person? Can they be prosecuted for the computer-related offenses they might engage in? Can they be sued under civil lawsuits and so on? In most states, all that is very uncertain. Uh, and that then acts as a hindrance to people taking part in this way. And that's what I seek to address with this bill. So under this bill, a state, let's say, again, use Denmark as an example. Denmark could say that the Ukrainian uh, IT army is a designated cyber militia. Uh, and it can have certain criteria for when it sees it as be meeting that, uh, getting that label. Then any citizen who joins such a designated cyber militia would be shielded from certain domestic laws such as um, prosecution for what otherwise would be uh, cybercrime activities, possibly also then civil um, uh, implications and perhaps matters like extradition and, and so on. As long as the person is a member of a militia acts within the instructions by this militia. And in my bill, I added the requirement that the activity they undertake must be defensive in nature. The reason I added that was otherwise the state, in our example, Denmark, might risk being seen to um, support it in a way that means that Denmark could be in violation of international law too. Now, each state will obviously make its own, own assessment as to what is defensive and so on. And I provide some guidance for that in the discussion, but that gets into quite detailed areas. Then. So that is the purpose. Sure. Um, so which is, I find it really interesting way of you know, getting states to think about these things. But are states willing to think about those things? Like what are the, what are the great powers internationally? What, like, what would they think about it, the US, the Biden administration, Xi Jinping, Putin, what, what are they considering in terms of regulating this, this field or this particular area? In a sense, one of the beauties with my proposed bill is that it is a domestic law that each state that is interested in doing so can introduce by itself. So I don't rely on international consensus that we're not going to get. I don't rely on some sort of international agreement that we probably won't reach anyway. So from that point of view, it's not so important what these great powers say. A state like Denmark couldn't introduce it anyway, in a sense, right? And now the states that, the states that currently hide behind non-state actors to do uh, nasty things would probably not adopt a bill like this. I see this as a tool for um, the countries that are currently not acting like that to start building a resource 
that uh, can facilitate some of the aims that those states might might have, while at the same time providing transparency uh, in this otherwise quite murky and risky area. So in some ways, I think that um, the structure that I'm putting in place then gives transparency, but also might encourage states to act in a responsible manner in this field that we currently are not seeing. That makes sense. So, so starting to to wrap up, like I, I find it interesting that we have we have come to this in in cyberspace. Looking back, uh, decades, right? Because John Draper, famously known as Captain Crunch, is often considered the first hacker, right? He was working, living in the uh, working in the sixties, where he bypassed bypassed the uh, the charge on long distance phone calls. Like, what were these early hackers like? Like Captain Crunch say about? where we are at the moment and, and why we have come to or how we have come to a cyber cyber militia bill? I think that most people that in one way or another were involved in the early days of the internet would probably be horrified to see the militarization of cyberspace that we have today. But I also think that the early hackers and others would be surprised at how little progress we made with cybersecurity and cyber resilience. They saw the weaknesses very early on, right? And in a sense, it's fair to say that we're only now waking up to what they saw 50, 60 years ago. Uh, and I think that shows the degree to which our enthusiasm and excitement for technology has blinded us to the risks of a cyber environment. Um, so we have arrived at the last question of this podcast. So in addition to your great article that we want everybody to read, uh, what should the interested listener read if they want to know more about cyber militias? Well, in some ways, I think it's more a question of starting to think about cyber militias rather than reading about them, I think. Yeah, I think we can all try to start shaping this area. And there's not a, a massive amount of literature out there dealing with something, what I describe and delineate as a cyber militia. So I think that can be a starting point for people to start thinking of. Now, Ukraine had to improvise in setting up their cyber militia, but we in other countries now have a luxury of a bit of time to start planning and acting, and I think that's important. But as to literature, because I realized that was what the actual question was about, I was in Taiwan at the end of last year speaking about disinformation in the context of the election they had there uh, last month. And I think it's worthwhile to looking at uh, what Taiwan is doing in preparing its population. There's a lot of uh, measures in place to prepare the uh, people for what might come. And some of the courses include topics like information warfare and cognitive warfare and so on, and how to think about these matters. And I think we can, uh, we should look at and learn from, I think, what is happening over there. So if there's not written much on cyber militias, we're looking forward to your book on, on the topic, hope, hopefully in the future. Thank you, Dan Jagersvandersen, for being our guest on this episode of SJMS. And thank you to our listeners. This podcast was brought to you by the Scandinavian Journal of Military Studies. It was produced by Jeppe Tejsker Jacobsen, Ravne Lohme. Music by Jens Bjerring. SJMS is an online open access journal publishing both high quality research and practice oriented studies relevant to the military profession.